This is from Reader's Digest. It's a gift-giving guide for men. Although the only person a man usually shops for is his wife, the whole experience can be a stressful one. Many a man has felt extreme frigid temperatures for a long period based on poor present decisions. And the author says, as a veteran of these wars, I am still not sure what to buy my wife, but I'll pass on what not to buy her. Don't buy anything that plugs in. Anything that requires electricity is seen as utilitarian. Don't buy clothing that involves sizes. The chances are one in 7,000 that you will get it right and your wife will be offended the other 6,999 times. Do I look like a size 16, she might say, or you go too small? I haven't worn a size 8 in 20 years. Avoid all things useful. The new silver polish advertised to save hundreds of hours is not going to win you any brownie points. Don't buy anything that involves weight loss or self-improvement. She'll perceive a six-month membership to a diet center as a suggestion, well, yeah. Don't buy jewelry. The jewelry your wife wants, you can't afford. The jewelry you can afford, your wife doesn't want. <laughs> Finally, don't spend too much. How do you think we're going to afford that, she'll ask. And don't spend too little. She won't say anything, but she'll think, is that all I'm worth? The holidays can be stressful when it comes to giving gifts. This morning we are going to conclude our brief three-week sermon series on a journey to Christmas. We've been talking about those who journeyed to the very first Christmas uh, way back when, and uh, this month of December we've been talking about those who made that very first journey. This morning we talk about the last visitors, the ones who visited last, the Magi. We're going to talk a little bit about the Magi and the gifts that they brought to the baby Jesus. Now, the Magi didn't make it to the very first Christmas. They weren't there uh, in Bethlehem at, uh, the day that Jesus was born. They make a very nice addition to the manger scene. It doesn't seem quite so, you know, empty. But the, the Magi didn't make it there right then. We'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. But we're going to talk about the gifts that they brought on their journey of worship. And once we have looked at their journey, we'll talk about the journey of worship on which we find ourselves. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Grab a Bible, either out of the pew in front of you or one that you brought with you. You should always bring your Bible to church. That's how you get gold stars in heaven. No. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Isn't that cool? All, the whole town is abuzz. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Ha, ha, ha. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, 
They returned to their country by another route. No one knows for sure how many magi visited Jesus. Might have been two, might have been three, might have been four. We're not told. What we do know is they brought three gifts. They brought three very valuable gifts. They came from the east, probably Persia or Arabia, southern Arabia. They followed a star, but it wasn't to the manger. The book of Matthew says they visited Jesus at the house. We don't know which house that was, but they visited Jesus at a house. They followed the star to Bethlehem and went to the house where Joseph and Mary had settled. They were most likely astrologers, which is why they followed the star. They studied the stars in the sky. They were not Jews, but they recognized that Jesus had been born the king of the Jews. They arrived in Jerusalem first, and they visited King Herod. And they inquired about the one who was born king of the Jews, and obviously this disturbed Herod. He had been appointed king over Judea by the Romans, and the idea of a new king of the Jews would have understandably disturbed and angered him. Herod called together the chief priests and inquired about the Christ and where he would be born. They told him that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. So Herod sent the Magi back to to Bethlehem and told them to report back to him when they had found him. Herod told the Magi that he wanted to worship the Christ, but in reality he had other things on his mind, as we find out later in Matthew chapter 2. They continued on their journey to the east and found the star again. The star stopped over Bethlehem, and the Magi's search came to an end. They found Jesus and his mother at the house. They settled in, and they bowed down, and they worshipped the Christ child. There they presented their gifts of worship to him. Bringing gifts, especially to a superior, was very important in Jesus' day, In the Middle East, these wise men realized, they recognized something that a lot of people today miss. They recognized that Jesus was their superior, that he really was the king of the Jews. He was the son of God. So let's take just a moment and examine these three gifts that they brought to him. Frankincense, or incense, is exactly what it sounds like. It was a fragrance that would be burned and was sweet-smelling. D.A. Carson, in his commentary on Matthew, says that frankincense was a glittering, odorous gum obtained by making incisions in the bark of several trees. They would take this gum out of the bark and let it dry, and then it would be burned and its scents would be released. It was used by priests in temple worship. Some people believe that it was a sign of, uh, given as a sign of Jesus' divinity. The commentator William Barclay says that this was a sign that Jesus was the perfect high priest. One commentator said that these gifts may have been used to finance Joseph, Mary, and Jesus' trip to Egypt to escape the massacre of the little boys under two years of age in Bethlehem and the surrounding vicinity. The next gift given was myrrh. Myrrh was a perfume and was used in anointing the dead. It was extracted from trees in Arabia, much like frankincense. It could be used medicinally to heal the sick. It would be mixed with wine, and then you uh, you would drink it to relieve pain. It was also used as a beauty treatment for women. In the book of Esther, the story of Esther, a woman uh, would undergo a full year of beauty treatments before going before King Xerxes. Six months of those beauty treatments were done with myrrh. Some commentators think that myrrh was given to symbolize Jesus' death and passion. In fact, a mixture of myrrh and aloes was taken to the tomb to be applied to Jesus' body, according to John 19. Joseph Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had 75 pounds of this mixture, and they applied it to Jesus' body and then wrapped his body in strips of linen. The last gift given was gold. Now, you all know what gold is. A lot of you have gold on right now, maybe in a, a wedding ring or in a necklace. We all know what gold is. Gold has always been valuable, 
and it is a commodity of great worth, worth probably somewhere in the range of about $1,100 an ounce right now. It was the medal of kings, and what a truly fitting gift to give the king of kings. Some commentators have found special significance in this gift as well. The incense signified Jesus' divinity. The myrrh signified his death and passion. Gold signified Jesus' royalty. The Magi truly recognized Jesus as the king that he was, and they brought him the medal of kings. It was a very expensive gift, and it was one that Christ was truly worthy of. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We've all heard the story lots of times, haven't we? I mean, it's real familiar. We hear the story, you know, baby Jesus, Herod, Magi, shepherds, angels, Joseph, Mary, yada, yada, yada. Now, it's, it's not that. It's, there's something more. Christmas is about worship. And that's what I want to talk about for a while now. But I want to tell you a story first. The thousands who attended the Willow Creek Leadership Summit in the summer of 2009 saw a video clip about the Whittier Area Community Church in California. Someone from their church had visited Malawi, Africa, and seen the desperate need for children's health care. When the church heard about this need, they decided to raise, this is a church that decided to raise $160,000 to build a pediatric health care facility in Malawi. Despite being a fairly large church, this was far beyond anything that they had ever done before. So they decided to raise the funds through a special Christmas Eve offering. Pastor Bill Ankerberg shares what happened. The mood was electric on Christmas Eve as people brought their gifts to the front and put them in large baskets. Women cried. Children ran up smiling. People gave with the greatest joy we have ever seen. They were delighted to give to God that which cost them something. People came in droves, three rows in the lobby, chairs in every doorway, people standing along the walls. People from the community had heard of the project and wanted to participate. Before taking the offering, Pastor Ankerberg asked everyone to write on their envelopes where the money had come from. Children had sold toys and candy, saved allowances, babysat, and sacrificed Christmas presents to be able to give to the children of Malawi. Adults had given up physical therapy, Christmas presents. They had hosted dinners, sold stock and cars, donated savings, given up winter vacations, and one couple even donated the money they would have used for fertility drugs in hopes that even though they couldn't have a baby, maybe they could help save the life of someone else's. Everyone dug down deep and made personal sacrifices to achieve this goal. When everything had been collected and counted, the congregation needed $160,000. They raised $525,057. For the children of Malawi. Now that is a gift of worship. That is giving to God a gift of worship. And that's what worship is all about. Worship is all about giving. It's not about taking. It's more than writing out a check on a Sunday morning so that you can check out during the offering time. Or or check out during the song time. Or check out during the sermon time. Worship is about being present in God's presence as he arrives. As he fills this place. It is about giving our all for the one who gave his all. That's what worship is about. And I want to talk about three aspects of worship this morning. As we celebrate Christmas this week. What is worship? What is worship all about? First of all, worship is all about your Savior. It's not about you. I know that sounds maybe earth shattering. Or maybe it sounds shocking. But worship is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what you get out of a worship service. It's not about how a service makes you feel. 
As we are on this journey of worship, we have to understand what worshiping Jesus is all about. And that's what it's all about, worshiping Jesus. We sing the, the song from time to time called The Heart of Worship, right? I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus, because that's what it's all about. And it's true. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 says this. These are powerful words about exalting Christ. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is coming a day. There is coming, I guarantee you, I promise I, I, I promise you, there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will glorify God by worshiping Jesus. You can either do it willingly or unwillingly, but it will happen if angels have to push you to your knees to confess and praise and worship Jesus, you will. Worship Jesus. Just as the Magi came and worshiped the baby Jesus so long ago, we will one day worship the risen Lord face to face. There's coming a day when Sean Cornette will stand before Jesus Christ and I will worship him face to face. I will tell him that I love him face to face. I will tell him that he is awesome face to face, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Savior of all mankind. That is a day that is coming, and it's a day I look forward to. I will worship him, and so will you. Because worship is not about you. It's about Jesus. And so often we make it about ourselves. It's about what we want, not about what glorifies the Lord. When we fight over worship, it does not please God. When we fight over the songs that we sing, or the instruments we use, or who can or cannot be involved in the service... We do not glorify God. We grieve the Lord. Our first question when it comes to worship should be, does it glorify God? Because that's what worship is all about. It's about glorifying God. And that should be our first question. Are we going to sing this song? I don't know. Does it glorify God? I don't want to sing that song. Well, too bad. Does it glorify God? And we're going to sing that song. Because that's what worship is all about. It's about glorifying God. Do the words of this song praise and glorify the Savior? If so, then let's sing it. Whether it's a brand new song or if it's a familiar tune that we've heard over and over again, if it glorifies God, then let us sing it with joyful hearts because worship is about Jesus. It is about glorifying God. When the Magi showed up at the, at the manger, well, he wasn't in the manger then, but when they showed up at the house, when they showed up at the house with their gifts, they didn't say, you know, does the baby like gold? Or I really don't feel like giving my incense. I really can't afford it. I don't like the way it makes me feel. Can we go do this somewhere else? This place isn't very comfortable. No, they gave with willing hearts, with glad hearts. They gave everything for this baby. Because worship is about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about our preferences. It's not about what we like. It's not about what we want. It's not about how we feel. It's about Jesus. Second, worship is about your gift. By this I mean that worship is about what we give to God, not about what we get from Him. And it's not just about Sunday mornings either. What are you giving God each and every day? It's easy to come to the church building on a Sunday morning 
sing a few songs, sit through a sermon, and give a tithe. What isn't so easy is living your life to please God each and every day. Listen to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means living our lives to please God. A change of heart, a change of mind, a change of body, a life of repentance and turning away from sin. A transformation from condemned sinner to conformed saint. Becoming more like Jesus each and every day. If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself and follow me. That's what being a Christian is all about, is being a follower of Jesus Christ, going where he leads, living a life that pleases him, giving our lives to him as an offering of worship. Paul said that this is our spiritual act of worship, becoming more like Christ every day, no longer living for the world, no longer living for ourselves, but living for Jesus. There's an old hymn called Living for Jesus, one of my favorites. Oh, Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to thee. For thou in thy atonement didst give thyself for me. My life I live henceforth to give, O Christ, for thee alone. Living for Jesus. That's what we're doing. That's what we're called to do. That is our spiritual act of worship. We no longer lead lives that lead to death, but we live for the one who conquered death. We live for Christ, the Savior of our souls. We live for Christ, the one who died for our sins, that we might be forgiven. We live for Christ, the one who gave us the gift of eternal life. We are changed, and we are radically different from the way that we used to be. We are changed, and we do things radically different from the way that we used to do them. We no longer say what we used to say. We no longer think what we used to think. We no longer do what we used to do. We do what Jesus did. We love God. We love others. We spread the gospel. We're changed. That is our gift of worship. Finally, worship is about your heart. That's the most important thing about worship. What is the condition of your heart? Do you love God? Then worship him. Do you love Jesus? Then worship him. We give to those we love, right? That's what we do at this time of year. I, I love my wife, and I couldn't wait to give her her present this year. I could not wait. I was so excited. I was, I, I, for, it's been on top of the entertainment center, uh, which is like really tall, and, and you can't see up there, and it's just been up there just waiting for her. And I'm like, oh, I cannot wait to get Every day I walk by and just kind of glance up at it, you know, hoping that she's going to notice and be like, what's up there? Your Christmas gift, do you want it now, huh? I was so excited. And last night I'm like, I want to give you your Christmas gift. She's like, mm, okay, sure. So I gave her a Christmas gift. She's got it on this morning, and I was just so excited. I, just, I, I love Shannon. I couldn't wait to give her this gift. You know, I couldn't, I can't wait for Sunday mor- uh, for uh, Friday morning, for Christmas Day, when Jonathan's going to open up his presents from us. I can't wait. Oh, uh, he's excited? <laughs> Nowhere near as excited as me. I am excited about him opening his gift. Why? Why do we go out and buy those gifts? Why did I buy the gift for Shannon? Why do I buy the gifts for Jonathan? Because we love him. Our, our hearts overflow with love for the little guy, and we get him things that will bring him joy and happiness. We do not give gifts to others to buy their love. We give gifts because we love them. So why should we give a gift of worship to God? Because he loves us. And we love him too. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. God reached out in love for us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. He took away our sins. He took the punishment that we deserved. He paid the price that we should have paid. 
But because he loves us, he paid it for us. So how do we show our love for him? How do we say, I love you, Jesus? How do we do that? Through our various expressions of worship. We tell Jesus we love him by worshiping him. So, sing at the top of your lungs. Lift your hands. Hit your knees. Pray. Sing. Fellowship. Worship. Give your tithes and offerings with cheerful hearts. Live a life that pleases God each and every day. Honor him and worship him as God. Put him first in your life. If you love Jesus, these are the things that we'll do. If we truly love him, we will want to honor him and please him and worship him. That is our journey of worship. There's a story that's told of a 14-foot bronze cross crucifix that was stolen from Calvary Cemetery in Little Rock, Arkansas. It had stood at the entrance to that cemetery for more than 50 years. The cross was put there in 1930 by a Catholic bishop and had been valued at the time, at the time in 1930, of $10,000. $10,000. The thieves apparently cut it off at its base and hauled it off in a pickup. Police speculate that they cut it into small pieces and sold it for scrap. They figured that the 900-pound cross probably brought about $450. See, they didn't understand the value of the cross. Do we? Do we really understand the value of the cross? Do we understand what our salvation cost Jesus? Jesus gave up his life so that we could be forgiven and that we could have the promise of eternal life with him. What does he ask for in return? He asks for our hearts. And you can give your heart to Jesus today. If you've never done it before, you can give your heart to Jesus today. It's a very simple, basic plan of salvation that the Bible teaches. It's real easy. You've got to believe. You've got to turn away from sin and turn to God for forgiveness and repentance. You've got to confess your faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And finally, we must be baptized and go on to live a new life for Christ, living for Jesus and not for ourselves. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins and you've never been baptized, then today is the day. Today is your opportunity. Today is your chance. We invite you to come and be baptized today. Make this the merriest Christmas possible. Make this the merriest Christmas that you could ever have. This invitation is for you. For those of you who have been baptized, I have a challenge. On your journey of worship, the challenge is to take the focus off of ourselves and our preferences and our desires and our wants and our needs and put the focus on Christ. Make Jesus the focus of our worship. Not what makes us feel good, but what pleases the heart of the Father. To give gifts, not of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but gifts of our hearts, our souls, and our minds. Not material gifts, but eternal gifts. And may God bless you this week and on your journey to Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to worship you. That we who are so dirty and sinful and wretched and vile, that God, you accept our offerings of praise and worship. That, Lord, in some way, 
these mouths that curse others and yet at the same time turn and bless you, Lord, you accept those offerings of praise. That these minds that are filled with the things of ourselves and the things of this world and so rarely have time for you, that, Lord, you still accept our minds and you accept our hearts, even though they are full of all kinds of sin and, and wickedness and filth. And you sent your son. You sent your son, Jesus, to cleanse them and to purify us, to justify us, and to wash away our sins. And you make it so easy. We don't have to give gobs and gobs of money. We don't have to go through bizarre rituals. He asks that we believe. And by your grace, you save us. Thank you for the message of Christmas. Thank you for the joy of worship. May we give you all the praise and glory through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.